You're listening to the RUV English podcast. To hear more and for all the news from Iceland in English, just head to ruv.is slash English. This is RUV English. I'm Darren Adam. Thanks very much for your time. Delighted to welcome a previous guest back on to the service. It's Ernie Sigarthadottir, who not that long ago, actually, was talking about the... The fourth month of winter, Thorri. Thorri, yeah, yeah, yeah. traditional is, foods. Yeah, which is February, mm-hmm. and here we are in June, and it still feels like February. Yeah, Iceland is going through a little bit of a cold spell. Did yeah. you see the global imaging uh, map, where basically the whole sky around Europe is red, and there's a tiny wee blue dot just over Iceland? I like to think I did that. Okay, did you? (laughs) I love the Icelandic winter, and if it can extend into the summer, then all the better as far as I'm concerned. You are the Iceland dairy... We've been described many things, Mm -hmm. but Iceland dairy queen is one, and one we'll go with today. Mm -hmm. Um, And I want to talk about skier. I want to talk about something which is ubiquitous in Iceland. It's in every supermarket. It's not just ubiquitous in Iceland, though. You can get it all over the world now, or at least you can get something which is labelled as skier. Can we start by going right back to the beginning? What is skier? Okay, so first of all, we're talking about an acidulated fresh cheese, thermophilic uh, bacteria. So it's basically, very simply put, it was a way of taking the agricultural product that is milk and preserving it. Um, And there are many reasons why we didn't evolve a sort of hard, dry, salted cheese like in other countries because basically Iceland didn't have salt. So before we talk about skid, we have to kind of realize the environment that the the product comes from. Iceland went through the Little Ice Age. Here was deforestation. The only way to achieve salt was to boil down seawater and with a lack of firewood, this would have been far too much of a, a, a commodity to use. Mm. So traditional cheese making, which evolved in, 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 in pretty much most around the world, didn't exist here due to this lack of salt. So an acidulated style of cheese evolved instead. Now, we do know historically, I mean, Iceland is settled here around 817, between 817 and 900 and it was settled by Vikings from the north of Norway, and also from, we had some uh, Celtics, so we had some Irish, Scottish and English um, that were brought here. And we do know that historically the reference, because we see it in our old sagas, the reference to Skeid was not only in Iceland originally. Mm-hmm. We know that in the other Scandinavian countries, Skeid was being produced. The product seems to disappear from those countries, uh, maybe because they had mining salt and they therefore evolved from this very simple acidulated fresh cheese into more complex cheese history. Um, But here in Iceland, uh, skid was a way of not only preserving the milk and turning it into a foodstuff that could be kept, but the byproduct of the make, which was the whey, when you strain the curd from the whey, the whey became essential to preservation of all foodstuffs. Remember the lack of salt. We couldn't yeah. salt foods to store them. And unlike what people think, even during the Little Ice Age, 
the temperatures in Iceland during winter were never that stable or even that cold mm. to just think, hey, meat can be frozen, fish can be frozen. Yeah, I've had to explain to friends that Iceland does not have an ice hotel because it's not cold enough for long enough. No, exactly. <laughs> so, so I think that's another thing that people don't realise. There was a very, you know, even through the little ice age, you know, a very uh, variable uh, temperature winter. And so with a lack of salt and even firewood to even smoke foods, yeah. because, you know, through smoking, there's a lot of chemistry that occurs that preserves food as well. So the lack of salt, the lack of being able to smoke foods meant that the way which ferments into lactic acid uh, basically became the most important preserving medium for meat, fish, even vegetables. So we can't really separate skid from our food culture. No, it was no. essential. So, something that's important to recognise from what you've said, mm -hmm. if it was missed, skir is a cheese. Mm -hmm. It's not a yoghurt, but it's thought of as that. And we'll get into why yeah. that is and all the different places yeah. where people, I guess, mistake it for a yoghurt. But it is, at heart, a cheese. Mm -hmm. um, skim forward a bit. Is it still being made as that, traditionally, here in Iceland? So in Iceland, yes, thankfully, yes, I can say that you can find traditional skid. And actually that, exactly that word, traditional Icelandic skid. Um, for most of you, when we're talking about food culture and food preservation, we think about things like PDOs, IGPs, you know, protected protect designation yes. of foods, whether it be champagne, whether it be parmaham, parmigiano. And that doesn't exist for Icelandic skid. <laughs> that doesn't exist for Icelandic skid, but in 2015, uh, a slow food organization entered uh, a very detailed classification of the traditional methods of making of skid into their what's called their sort of range of presidia foods so that is in a sense a protection that follows pretty much the same rules as um, uh, igps or pdos um, so the word traditional icelandic skid will be always a presidia product which means it is the traditional product now you cannot access that product anywhere else in the world except in iceland because there are only a handful of producers. Yeah, yeah. Um, what you will see in other countries, well, maybe not here in Iceland, but certainly in the UK, you will see what is described as Icelandic-style mm -hmm. skier. Mm -hmm. And although it isn't Icelandic skier, mm -hmm. although it isn't maybe even skier, it tastes fine. And there's nothing wrong with the product, mm -hmm. it's just that it's not authentic in the way that it might be mistaken for. I, I like to use the term apples and oranges are both fruit, but they're not the same. Yes. And I think that's what it comes down to. It's yeah. like, you know, you know, skid is its own thing. And as I say, we'll talk about that. There's mm. across the world now, there is products being marketed as skid because we never managed to protect that name for a variety of reasons. Uh, but these, this isn't the same product. Um, most skid now being made on an international level is basically a thick yogurt. That's what it is. It's made with lactic bacteria and things that aren't present in the product, like Saccharomyces, which are families of yeasts, um, aren't present, and therefore our categorization of what a cheese is versus a yogurt changes. 
and we can go out and I, as I say I want to explain to you just like what skeet is and how it's made and then yes. I'll understand why yeah, yeah. it's not the same so for all you dairy lovers you lactic lovers <laughs> out there uh, to make skeet traditionally what would happen is the cow would be milked the milk would be brought up to 85 degrees Celsius, just b below boiling point. Now, the reason historically our forefathers heated the milk, we could theorize, in, but probably one of the main reasons would be to remove impurities. Mm -hmm. If you bring milk up to the boil, if there's any straw or animal hairs or something like that, they can be skimmed off. Yeah, yeah. So if we think about it from the simplest reason why they would have heated the milk up traditionally, that would be it. So heating the milk up to just below boiling, and then the milk would undergo a 24-hour period of cooling down. But once the milk had been heated, what would happen is that an, a batch of previous skir, which would then have a host, a microbiome of cultures, so it would have yeasts and bacteria, lactic bacteria, would be added to the, the warmed milk and stirred through and often also rennet would be added. Another reason why we talk about cheese being cheese is actually the addition of rennet. And we can go into what that is as well. Once this previous batch of skid and possibly rennet would be added, the milk would be left for about 24 hours within room temperature and it would slowly cool down. Uh, at the end of 24 hours, it would have coagulated. And at this stage, it would have been ladled into a cloth the cloth would be hung into the rafters and the whey that would drip down would be collected in a bucket, in a wooden bucket, um, a wooden trough um, for further use for preserving and also just for drinking because it was yeah. a very thirst quenching drink. And if you think about in Iceland, yes, we were spoilt with all our lovely glacial springs and lakes to drink safe water. You know, we were not a country of stagnant water no. like a lot of other no. places. Um, so, you know, I mean, in some countries, basically the only thing you could drink was beer because water was too unsafe. And we banned it here. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> so, but, you know, we had the choice of glacial water or we had the choice of drinking whey that would be stored in a wooden barrel. Often wealthier farmers would leave the barrel outside their front door so that anybody going past could quench their thirst. This was very much a sort of a sign of status as well. Yes. So the drained skid, so you can imagine, the whey is collected below, the drained skid, which is allowed to hang for quite a length of time, becomes very dry. Um, if Then that skid would be decanted into a wooden trough, a traditional wooden trough. And in that wooden trough, because it was usually never cleaned, would have been previous also remainders of previous batches of skid. They weren't really cleaning it, it was just being added on top. So again, that natural microbiome, mm -hmm. which was being basically kept, kept alive and continuing. And within that would be a lot of um, safe, uh, basically natural cultures that would actually work as, uh, you know, preservatives as well. Mm -hmm. um, good bacteria. Good bacteria good is the word I'm looking yes. for, yes. All the good bacteria. So, um, but uh, what we have to remember when we talk about milk uh, is unlike today where we go into our local supermarket and we get milk all year round, this wasn't the case. In a country, where, you know, in the middle of the North Atlantic uh, island with harsh winters and the little ice age and deforestation, 
I mean, most people could only maybe house one or two cows because they would have to basically keep that animal indoors yeah. and they would be building their living quarters above um, the, the stable, the barn where the, the animals were housed. Um, and that, obviously, cow would only give birth, would calve one time a year. So your availability of milk in the spring was maybe only for about two to three months, unlike today where we just have mm -hmm. milk all year round. Mm -hmm. So it was very important while the animal was giving milk to, to preserve it for the remaining nine months. Now talking about the whey, the whey, which would obviously be lovely and light and sweet and, and beautiful at the beginning of the spring, by the time you get into autumn, it's getting a little bit, right. let's just say <laughs> ripe, a little bit fermented and becoming in sense a little bit alcoholic. So, you know, the winters must have been great fun. Anybody going past <laughs> and needing to quench their thirst. Was on, on rotten skin. <laughs> yeah, I was basically having a good of a whale yeah. of time, basically having free alcohol on yes. their trip. Yes. So yeah, that, that certainly didn't, uh, didn't make the winters worse. It actually helped, I think. All right, so let's move forward to where we are now, where there is this thing that is called skier, which is available everywhere. And we've decided that that's not skier, but it's fine. It tastes fine. Why do you think it has, why do you think even the, the name has, the idea of skier has become so popular worldwide? It's, it's very simple if you think about it. When, basically, when the farmer milked the cow, they would, of course, begin by allowing the milk to sit so that the cream would float to the top. The, the cream would be skimmed off the top and turned into butter. Then you have a low-fat milk, but still full of protein, and it would that low-fat milk that would be converted to skir. Then you get this host of bacteria and these natural forming yeasts and, and lactic bacteria, which are all very good for us. Mm. Um, but you have a product that's super high protein and very low fat. Now, Icelanders got their fat from other aspects in their diet. But what happens today in this age of healthy lifestyles and sports, I mean, skid is the perfect sports activity food, low fat, high protein. Um, and and is, is, that, is, that, is that true of the, the, the not really skier that we well, find in other places? Well, yes, it is, because that same process of skimming the fat off and creating mm. that yogurt-like product, which isn't, as I say, skiered, um, is still healthy for you. It's still working on the basis of high protein and low yeah, fat. Yeah. But as I said, and that's the, skier being made across the world... It isn't skid. You know, we just have to remember it's a, it's it's a it's a yogurt, mm -hmm. that, and that's fine. And there's nothing wrong with mm -hmm. yogurt. I like mm -hmm. yogurt, but I don't like to be charged premium prices for yogurt just because it has the name skid on it. Mm -hmm. So obviously, it's a marketer's dream to to use the word skid, that pure Icelandic beer Viking, Icelandic landscape, yeah, yeah, yeah. to market a product which essentially is the same as the other products in the do, shelf. Do you think if it had been protected and you could only use that word mm -hmm. if you were genuinely creating authentic skier mm -hmm. in Iceland, do you think production would have expanded to meet that demand? Would there have been a market now, a bigger market, more producers? I'm not sure because I, I, I'm not sure. One of the arguments to even in Iceland, the Dairy Association, a lot of the products that they produce on the market, which is called skid, 
according to the Presidia, you know, certification isn't skid. Mm -hmm. Still a good product, still a healthy product. But, but as they say themselves is that the foods of the past weren't exactly as palatable as the foods <laughs> of the future. And maybe the modern consumer palate doesn't want something that's so highly acidulated. Or what then, having a dairy product that almost reminds you of the rind of a camembert because there's a host of saccharomyces yeasts in there. So we could argue that the traditional method of making skid results in obviously a traditional and therefore slightly ancient flavor, which is not everyone's cup of tea. Um, coming back to our forefathers, as I mentioned earlier, the skid would be drained because when you remove moisture from a, a product, obviously it, like, it gives it longevity of life. The more high moisture content, the, the quicker it will spoil. So obviously, historically, we would have drained it to remove the moisture. Then when it came to actually eating the product, we would have then uh, reconstituted it with water, thinned it down. Mm -hmm. And if in the right time of year, it was maybe uh, we still had some fresh milk, we would even, even thinned it down with milk. But into the skid, this would have been eaten sour. Uh, into the skid, we would have then taken the whey Mm -hmm. preserved meat, fish, vegetables, and chopped it up, and it would be kind of a sour soup with sour right. meat. Which is it's not exactly very modern palate. Uh, no, and again, it's very different to the, to the very sweet, fruit-flavoured, or even chocolate-flavoured, or honey-flavoured, or caramel-flavoured versions of what we now call, mm -hmm. inaccurately, as it turns out, skiered. Very, very different indeed. Yeah, and there's one memory I think most Icelanders carry um, from childhood and still to this day is that we like skid from the north. The north is still making with traditional cultures which have been going since, I think the culture in the north, the dairy in the north has been going since 1935. So it's just been rolled forward. And buying skid from the north in September when the berries are out, late August, beginning of September, and Iceland's landscapes are covered with blueberries and crowberries, picking loads of berries, going home, having some skid, putting loads of berries in the skid, lots of sugar on top, yeah. and cream to add that fat back in. It's one of these lovely memories of autumn. It's, it's delicious. And so you can see that even our forefathers would have been allowing themselves that. And, and that is why we see also how that product has evolved into being a dessert today. So if someone's listening to this in Iceland mm -hmm. and they want that authentic skier experience, mm -hmm. it's still possible. So... Um, Obviously, most of the producers are small artisanal producers. One of the sort of the, the trailblazers or one of our food heroes is a man called Thorgrimur, who has a farm, Erpstadir Dairy, near Budadalur. He's even set up a skid museum in his dairy. And if you are traveling around Iceland, driving up to the farm, he has a, uh, a farm petting zoo and he has a visitor center and he makes his own ice cream and they make their own cheeses, but they also make the first sort of traditional skid that was put on the market here. It is occasionally available in Hagkub, but it will never drip down to the budget supermarkets. There's just not enough quantity being made. Um, in the last couple of years, unfortunately, we've lost some of our smaller stores which would have represented it, but another one, Reykjavik, Melabúðin, if you know that, Melabúðin. Investable. Yeah, yeah, you can probably pick it up there. And if not, you know, a little drive to the farm is always fun. Yeah. And worth doing, worth experiencing. Of course it is. I mean, especially now, there is summer in Iceland. 
It's warm. It's 10 degrees, at least 11. <laughs> it's actually too hot for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, um, a couple of places um, where food tourism has blossomed, Evstedalur, which is also uh, near Gutfors and Geysir, um, they lovely. You can go and eat their ice cream and buy their homemade skid. Um, <clears throat> what we have to talk about, though, is that the traditional skid that you'll be buying from artisan producers here in Iceland is all being made with cow's milk. But there's one exception, and that you have to go all the way to the east for, and that's made in very small quantities where you get sheep's milk and goat's milk skid. Historically, of course, skid would have been made with sheep's milk and cow's milk mm -hmm. and goat's milk or a mix thereof. Whatever was available. Yeah, whatever was available. But as we come towards the 20th century, uh, uh, yeah, around the turn of the century, 1900s, we really start rearing our sheep to become a meat breed. We stop milking our sheep. So obviously, um, and our sheep roam wild. So good luck trying to chase a ewe to grab her teeth. She's not going to appreciate it. So yeah, today skid is made with cow's milk. And and if we look at the you know the presidia standard for Icelandic skid is if it's not Icelandic milk, terwar. If it's not Icelandic milk, it is not skid. You can simplify it like that. If it's made in Australia, Canada, Italy, Switzerland, Denmark, Germany, wherever. If it's not Icelandic milk, it isn't skid. That's number one. Number two, if the traditional process of draining the curd from the whey isn't withheld, which, for example, in large-scale production now is not being done, it's going through a centrifuge, it's setting in the tub. So the whey proteins are still in the product. Now, whey proteins are healthy, but apples and oranges. If you don't remove yeah, yeah. the whey proteins, it's not the same product. And again, the third thing is this combination of both yeast and lactic bacteria, which traditional yogurt only has lactic bacteria. So that's kind of the three classifications of what real skid is. But just remember, if it's not Icelandic milk, it's not. and it doesn't matter if it's a cow, goat, or sheep, or a horse. <laughs> can you milk a horse? I'm not going to go down that road. <laughs> but yes, you can milk a horse, no problem. Okay. <laughs> if, she's, if she's nice if she's to you. Willing to willing for that to happen. Yeah. But and I guess the other takeaway then is that now that we've established just how different they are, no one should feel guilty for eating what is described as Icelandic style skier as long as they know that it's not Icelandic skier because that's how it's marketed in lots of different countries. It tastes fine, as you say, it's a good product. It's not authentic, but as long as you're okay with that, crack on. Absolutely. I mean, it's often, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a marketer's dream. Um, I've seen in the UK some lovely flavors with passion fruit and vanilla and yeah. all these, and I have found them quite pleasant myself. So that's not the issue. It's just the fact that you realize that maybe you're paying a premium um, for a product that you can buy an equivalent of further along the shelf um, yes. for, the, for a lower price. But I mean, as far as I'm concerned, there's nothing wrong with the product, but be aware it isn't you're not eating the truth, if you know what I mean. I have noticed that it doesn't tend to appear on restaurant menus now as a dessert mm -hmm. in the way that I remember it doing when we first came to Iceland in the late 1990s. It seems to, maybe because it is ubiquitous, ever, or that word is ubiquitous mm -hmm. everywhere else, it's not, ironically, seen as an Icelandic thing anymore because you can get something that shares the name everywhere. 
Um, yes and no. I would say that certainly the traditional chefs like Gisli Matslipurin, you know, Dil, Oaks, all the traditional Icelandic cuisine places, they will be hunting down the real product from the artisan producers, which are only a handful. There's only seven to eight producers in the country. Um, so you will see it being used. But yes, I think also I think people are becoming more aware of the fact that they do need to hunt down the real thing. Yes. Yes. And the real thing is is amazing. It's complex. It's 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 complicated. It's nuance of flavor. And and remember, it was the food of its place. And so every farm, you know, there was every farm had made its own skid, and therefore they would all taste different because the 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 natural environment, airborne bacteria, anything that was around would affect the flavor. And I mean, it was, you know, that kind of competitiveness between farms. I'm sure the housewives would be very, you know, proud of mine is better than theirs, etc. So, you know. And, and, and that's why skier, original authentic skier, speaks to the culture and history of the country as well, because it speaks to the circumstances that were prevalent when farmers had to make it. Yeah, weather in place. And hardship, I mean, really, it's a product that's born out of hardship and it kept us alive. I mean, the, the importance of skid cannot be underestimated because it, it runs through every aspect of our food tradition and our food tradition for hundreds and hundreds of years. The other thing I would also say with as a skid, uh, I mean, for me, I absolutely adore it as a product. I mean, I think it's... Um, it's wonderful, but at the moment, for example, I mean, think about it. I told you earlier on, there's like seven, eight artisanal producers in the whole country. Yes. Quantities of being made are small. And yet, on an international scale now, they estimate annual sales of 70 million euro a year in skier sales in other countries. It's a valuable word. Mm -hmm. You know, so, you know, I think <clears throat> it, it is important that we that we keep on talking about it, informing people about it, and making it not disappear. I mean, look at cheddar. Cheddar is the most consumed cheese on the planet. And cheddar isn't just, I mean, how many varying, variants yeah. of cheddar? It tastes nothing like cheddar. Well, and that's the thing. With cheddar, cheddar has become another word for cheese, hasn't it? Exactly. And, and worldwide, consumers don't even know what real traditional farmhouse cheddar is. Mm -hmm because it's got so far removed. Yes, and I think yes. for this little island, with its, you know, pride of food culture and pride of food survival, I think it's quite important that we keep, we keep going on about it. Well, happily. And we mentioned restaurants earlier in the conversation. We're in one. We're in one. We've just had a lovely lunch. Really nice. And we are in? Skreif. So it's on Lögavegur. It's a fairly new restaurant. Um, absolute top-of-the-range chef that we have here who's been in some of the finest places both here in Iceland and in uh, he's worked in Denmark I know and other places and the company was pretty good too yes indeed indeed <laughs> Ernie thank you very much as ever we will talk again at some point absolutely and it, and it might be another four or five months but the time will just pass like that Christmas is coming we'll Christmas have to talk about Christmas if you like me Christmas is always coming <laughs> Always just round the corner. Ernie Sigathodot, thank you very much for your time today uh, here at Roof English as we discuss skier in all of its many forms and the many ways that that word has been used over the years and continues to be so. I'm Darren Adam. Thanks for your time today. You can get in touch with us here at Roof English anytime by email english at ruv.is.
you are listening to the Roof English Podcast. To hear more and for all the news from Iceland in English, just head to ruv.is English.